Welcome to The Bull and the Bear, a money and markets podcast. We give you the advice you need to know to make investing safe and profitable. With The Bull and the Bear podcast, you'll get exclusive access to some of the top thinkers, analysts, advisors, and gurus in the investment business. And now for your hosts, Matt Clark and Charles Sizemore. Hello, everyone. Matt Clark, research analyst for Money and Markets here with your latest Bull and the Bear podcast. Uh, glad you're with us. Just reminders, as I do each and every podcast, just remember how you can how you can access the podcast as well as other things that we uh, that we put out. Uh, you can check our YouTube channel. Go to youtube.com, type in Money and Markets. We'll have the little green logo. Just make sure you click subscribe. And then after that, uh, there I think there's a little bell that comes up. You can click to be notified. By doing that, you'll actually get advanced look at our videos that we put out, whether it's the Bull and the Bear podcast or our Marijuana Market Update or our Week Ahead. Uh, you'll get advanced looks at those videos uh, before we put them out on moneyandmarkets.com, but only if you get notifications to them. So make sure you do that. Again, just youtube.com and then just type in Money and Markets in the search bar and you'll be able to find us pretty easy. Uh, the Bull and the Bear podcast is also uh, syndicated on about 20 different podcast syndicators including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify. We're in the process of being added to Amazon. Uh, once that happens, you'll be able to listen to uh, the Bull and the Bear podcast on your uh, Alexa-connected uh, speakers and devices, which is kind of cool um, if, you, uh, if you do that kind of thing. Uh, but make sure if you are listening to us as a podcast, make sure you're following us and, and that uh, if the option is there, you click and be alerted every time a new podcast comes out. We, like I said, we usually put these things out uh, on our syndication on YouTube before we put it out to the website. So if there's any action that we, we discuss that you might want to take or anything like that, uh, you'll, be, you'll get kind of an advanced notice of that. So uh, it's a good way just to kind of keep yourself informed and be ahead of the curve a little bit. Uh, if you do have comments or questions, or maybe there's a, a sector or a stock you'd like us to, uh, to discuss, we'd love to hear your feedback. Just email us at thebullandbear at moneyandmarkets.com. Uh, that's the bull and bear at moneyandmarkets.com. And uh, I know that Adam loves feedback. I love, uh, I love feedback. We get a ton of it with our marijuana market update. Uh, like to see a lot more of that coming our way uh, with the bull and the bear podcast. So to jump right in uh, today, just again, I preface a little bit. I'll have uh, money markets, chief investment strategist, Adam Odell on with me here very shortly. Uh, Charles Sizemore is off today. Uh, so he will, he will not be joining us. That's okay. I think, I think Adam and I can hold it down. Uh, okay. With, without Charles uh, and any samurai references or any other vague comic references that he tends to, to have from week to week. Um, but, but to jump right in, um, we want to talk about a sector that is starting to make a little bit of a run, but gains have been kind of difficult to come by here. And, and the sector I'm talking about is the financial sector of the S&P 500. Uh, in fact, the financial sector is the second worst performing sector of the S&P 500 just in front of energy, if that tells you anything. Energy, we all know, is, is bad. Financials are just right above it. Uh, but its recent run could maybe turn some things around. Um, like I said, gains are a little hard to come by with financial companies. We know in the second quarter, uh, earnings reports that have come out, uh, financials, big banks, things like that, they aren't really generating revenue or strong earnings based on their core business. They're doing it based on trading, their trading business, which is their, their business that, that gets them into the stock market. Um, so it's a little bit of a deviation from, from how things have been done before. Um, you know, the pandemic has pushed the economy into a recession. Uh, that also is not helping financial institutions at all. Uh, millions of Americans remain laid off, furloughed due to lockdowns. Businesses are still either closed or opening in a limited fashion, also not helping the financial sector. Um, the uh, S&P finance sector, SPDR ETF, 
which is an exchange traded fund that tracks some of the biggest financial stocks. It's up 41% since it's low in March of earlier this year. However, it's still about 20% off its previous high set the month before in mid-February. So that kind of speaks to, you know, it's up, but it's not nearly where it could be or where it should be. Um, you know, XLF is what it trades under. It uh, has companies ranging from Berkshire Hathaway to J.P. Morgan and Chase, all the way to Northern Trust and even Synchrony Financial. Um, so it's got a pretty broad base of companies that are even a little on the periphery of financials, and we'll get to that here in, in just a second. ETF itself has a moving average; it's about a dollar fifty. It trades about twenty-six, twenty-seven dollars. It's about a dollar fifty below its two hundred day moving average, so it's not showing a lot of upward trajectory at this point. It hasn't reached a golden cross; hasn't reached a golden cross in I don't know how long. Um, so it doesn't really seem to have a lot of short-term momentum in its favor. <clears throat> but uh, you know, and just to compare, the sector itself is down about twenty percent. The S and P is up close to six percent. And just to kind of add to that for context, the tech sector is actually out, up about fourteen percent. So there's about a thirty-four percent swing between tech and financial, uh, and, and that's a pretty hefty swing in terms of, of sector value and, and sector returns. Um, so, so this week, what I want to do is I, you know, I want to take three stocks that are, are relatively well known, and, and Adam and I are going to give our analysis on each one. Um, again, let me preface by saying that in, in no way, shape, or form do we suggest that any of these companies are bad. Um, that's not the case at all. It's just are they smart potential investment avenues for you to take? That's kind of what we're looking at. We're looking at the numbers. We're taking Adam's uh, green zone rating system. Uh, and, and really kind of filtering that in and, and seeing if these companies are worth you looking at. So uh, without further ado, um, I'll bring in uh, Chief Investment Strategist Adam O'Dell. First off, Adam, welcome. Thank you for, uh, for, for coming on this week. Appreciate uh, your time. And, and I want to jump right into the first company that we'll look at today. It's a publicly traded investment manager. Uh, it invests in things like uh, mutual funds, governments, foundations, pension plans, offshore funds, your typical investment drivers. Its total revenue was listed at about $15 billion. It's got a net income of about $4.4 billion. Just of note, I was looking at S&P Global stats. This company has a credit rating of AA-, which is actually pretty, pretty decent. Um, and it is a well-known company in the investment world. Um, you know, its stock is up about 82% from hitting its low back in March of 2020. It's still short of the 52-week high, which is about $600 a share. It's still off of that. Uh, the company I'm referring to here is BlackRock Incorporated. Trades on the New York Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol BLK. And first off, I'll, I'll send it over to Adam. Ad, Adam, give me your take on BlackRock. Yeah, actually, uh, like BlackRock, it's a $90 billion company. It's one of the biggest uh, you know, asset managers, and uh, it has the iShares uh, suite of ETFs. So this huge market share there in the ETF uh, trading space. You know, it's interesting. You did a really good job of kind of setting up where the financial sector is currently. Um, you know, it fell hard with the market, with the whole market in, uh, during the corona crash. It hasn't really made it back up to its new highs. If you look at the broad financial sector, so if you look at the, the broadest financial sector ETF, XLF, the spider financial sector, is still about 19, 20% uh, off of its uh, late February highs. It's below its 200-day moving average. It has a six-month negative uh, downtrend. So as far as you know, the broad financial sector, it's really not a sector that you have to be jumping to buy into right now. Uh, if you follow a trend rule like I do in my Cycle 9 Alert um, service, you basically, you basically avoid the stocks that are currently in downtrends because buying stocks that are in downtrends or buying sectors that are in downtrends 
is not only giving you a lower lower probability of success with a long trade, but it also gives you a higher probability of a, a greater drawdown. So you have more risk in that type of trade. So the, the message with financials is don't buy the whole entire financial sector. You want to look for spots, and we'll get into this today. You know which spots of the financial sector are doing better or worse. Uh, BlackRock's actually doing pretty well right now. It's trading at pretty much at its uh, new all-time highs. Um, on my six-factor green zone uh, rating model, it has a score of 86, so it scores highly, and it scores in the 90s on momentum and growth. Scores on the eight in the 80s on quality and volatility, meaning it's a low volatility, high-quality stock. Um, it's not the best valuation. It scores 42 out of 100, so it's a little bit overpriced as far as value uh, goes, and it scores lowly on size, again, because it's a $90 billion company. So you're not necessarily going to get the juice that you typically get with a small cap stock. But overall, you know, an 86 out of 100 rating for BlackRock is super solid. Um, you know, again, BlackRock has kind of has that market share, has that moat where, you know, not, not a lot of competitors can really compete with it on its volume and size. So I do like BlackRock for the long run. Um, you know, I used to work for a, for a brokerage firm uh, called TradeStation Securities, much smaller than BlackRock and, and the next stock we'll talk about. But um, but what we we always tracked uh, what's called darts. It's the daily average revenue trades. Basically, how much how actively trading are, are the clients and and basically what you see is you see those darts track alongside volatility. So when volatility is lower, you see less trading. When volatility is higher, you see more trading, and that that, that more active uh, trading creates more trading revenue, as you mentioned, for uh, people like BlackRock and you know the brokerage firms that uh, even with low commissions right now. So, um, so definitely, I think BlackRock is a short-term play. Um, I did get a cycle nine buy signal about a month and a half ago, so we're still kind of in that sweet spot of of, uh, of um, above average returns. The stock's making a new high, and longer term, it scores very highly. So for me, BlackRock's definitely a name to look at. And, and I agree, and I also agree that I think it's more of a short-term play here, just simply because you know large cap stocks, and 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 Adam has, has preached this to his Green Zone Fortunes readers, to his Cycle Nine readers as well, that you know your larger cap stocks are not going to give you that big bang return that a lot of investors are looking for. You're not going to see uh, you know a, a high double-digit, low triple-digit winner from a, a company that trades around six hundred dollars a share. Percentages, the math just doesn't work that way. So if you're looking for maybe a, maybe a short-term bit of a short-term pop, maybe in the, ter in the range of 8 to 12%, then I think BlackRock could be uh, right in your wheelhouse. If you're looking for a long-term gain to you know, bank on for retirement, uh, you know, I, I think there are better options out there than BlackRock. Uh, that, that said, BlackRock is a very good company. It scores very highly on Adam's Green Zone rating system. Uh, and it's definitely one that uh, I think you want to look at. It's got great margins. Uh, it, it's, it's gross margin is, is about 81% compared to the industry average of 74%. Uh, it's got a, a great positive net margin, whereas the industry is actually in the negative. Um, so I think, I think, it, I think it's got, it's got its numbers really support a, a strong company to look at. Um, look, moving on to our second company, this, this next company is an investment manager. It launches and manages, you know, equity and fixed income mutual funds. Uh, it also makes investment in, in late stage venture capital transactions. And those investments range between three and $5 million. Uh, it did hit a golden cross. The stock did hit a golden cross in June. It has continued to move upwards since then. Um, it's uh, moved up about 61% since hitting a March 2020 low. It's about 5% off of its 52-week high of $142 a share. Um, but uh, the, the company I'm speaking of here, you've seen a lot. They have commercials everywhere. Uh, the T. Rowe Price Group Incorporated trades on the NASDAQ under T-R-O-W, T. Rowe Price. Uh, Adam, your, uh, your thoughts on T. Rowe Price? 
Um, like BlackRock, I'm also bullish on T Row. Um, if I had to choose between buying one or the other, I, I would actually have to lean toward uh, T Row price. Just it rates a little bit higher. It actually rates 93 out of 100, so it's a true green zone stock. It's above 90 um, on my six-factor model. Uh, it's in the 80s on momentum and volatility. It gets scores of 90s in the 90s uh, for quality and growth, including 98 on quality. So when you're looking at profit margins, returns on assets and equities and invested capital, when you're looking for a company that has a low uh, debt load and, and plenty of cash to service that debt, and uh, as far as asset turnover, efficiency of the business as well, uh, you really can't find a better business than T-Row Price. Um, on the value metric, it scores a, it's a better value than, than BlackRock, where BlackRock's a bit overvalued relative to the industry averages. Um, T-Row price is pretty much right in line with the industry averages. It's, it's not higher or lower, but pretty much right on, on there. And then it's about a third of the size of BlackRock, so it's about a $31 billion company. So still very much a large cap uh, stock, but it, it scores a little bit higher on size because it's not quite as large as, uh, as BlackRock. So. Uh, if I was to go with one of the two, they're pretty much in a very similar business. So uh, you don't necessarily need to own both stocks. If I was to go with one or the other, I would have to lean toward uh, T-Row price a bit. Um, you know, ultimately this is, you know, we are in a recession. Uh, but what you'll see is that, you know, the economy did not make a V-shaped recovery, but the stock market did. So if you talk about, uh, you know, higher net worth uh, Americans that earn, you know, higher incomes and have more assets, those are disproportionately the people that are invested in the stock market, that are invested with an asset manager that maybe uh, charges a wrap, a wrap fee or, you know, based on the account, the uh, assets under management. So unfortunately, this, this uh, you know, discussion comes down to income and wealth inequality, where you see kind of the lower income and the lower wealth uh, folks get hurt hardest during a recession. Uh, like we're in now and, and then there are plenty of people that uh, are doing just fine and haven't really gotten affected too much um, so i think that blackrock and t-row price are both in a business where as long as the kind of the upper income folks uh, continue to do okay uh, they're not going to get as hit as hard as some other um, you know, other parts of the sector so right now i think that owning one of these stocks would be would be a good bet uh, i would lean toward t-row price but really you probably couldn't go wrong with either one yeah, and I like T-Row Price, too. And in fact, one thing to note, every week on moneyandmarkets.com, um, Adam puts out his watch list of 10 stocks that he has run through his, his proprietary green zone rating system. And, and these stocks are, are the most attractive uh, based on that system to him each and every week. And, and just, I believe, about two weeks ago, T-Row Price was actually on that list. So uh, I, I, I agree. I think in terms of if you had to pick one or the other, I think T-Row Price is the better bet. It's a more affordable. Um, you've got you know, BlackRock, which is in the 590 range, whereas T-Row Price is in the uh, upper 130s. So if you're looking just strictly on what you can afford on price or things like that, then mm. T-Row Price is, probably, is a much better thing. Adam mentioned cash and debt. And one thing I want to kind of illustrate with that uh, for T-Row Price, it's, its cash is about $2.1 billion. Its debt, $160 million. That's a wide disparity. That, that is huge. To have that much cash and that low of debt definitely speaks to the quality uh, of, of T-Row Price. So yeah, I, I, I like them both, um, but I think the stronger of the two, obviously, is, is going to be T-Row Price, both for the short term and I think for the long term as well. Um, the last company. Yeah, Matt, real quick, before you go to the last stock here, uh, I want to. Thanks for mentioning the the top ten. Basically, you know, each week I want to I want to kind of uh, highlight that a little bit more. Uh, as far as each week, we publish a, a top ten list. Those ten stocks that are most highly rated, 
And we publish that both in my Greens and Fortune subscription service, which is a very reasonable cost for a yearly subscription, but we also post that uh, for free on the Money and Markets website. Um, that's actually a two-step process. I use two of my systems to, to produce that top 10 list every single week. So I think it's really interesting because the first step of that process is based on my cycle nine alert algorithm, which is basically a, a trend and momentum algorithm. And what it does is it identifies you know, rare opportunities in stocks where over the next two to three months, we have a high, very high probability of beating the market in that stock. So that's kind of the first step. So basically what I do is I collect five days worth of, of buy signals from my cycle nine system. And so over the past five days, I collect all of the buy signals. And then uh, it's usually about you know, 20, 30, maybe 40 stocks uh, that trigger those buy signals. So again, it's a very selective process. Uh, but then I take those, those ticker symbols, those companies, those stocks, and then I run those 30 or 40 stocks through my six-factor uh, stock ranking model, which lo looks at more factors than just momentum. It looks at momentum, size, volatility, value, quality, and growth. So some of the factors that are more predictive of longer-term outperformance rather than just shorter-term two- to three-month outperformance. So then uh, basically of the whole list, um, I rank them and, and basically give the, the top 10 is the, the 10 that rank the highest on that six factor model. So really you're, you're, you're looking at a short term approach. These are stocks that have triggered a short term uh, two to three month buy signal, which means that they have the momentum to beat the market right now. And then I'm also looking at the longer term factors that make sure that if we get into a stock that they, that they can you know last for the long term, that they have a quality book and that they have growth behind them and there's still a pretty good value. Um, so it's kind of a two, two, uh, two filter approach. And I think that, you know, if you look at that top 10 uh, list each week and it's something that we're, you know, we're giving off, giving away for free in, in money and markets, uh, I think there's really a lot of value there, whether you're kind of your own stock picker or whether you want to look at buying a basket of stocks, there's a lot of value there. And I think it's important. I think it's great that you actually lay that out and explain what that is. Uh, just so when people go to moneyandmarkets.com or if you're part of uh, Adam's Green Zone Fortunes uh, subscription service, uh, it gives a nice detail on exactly what you're looking at uh, and, and what the process is in terms of how we determine that. It's not just picking things out of thin air. Uh, you can do that yourself. Um, what, what we're doing here and what Adam is doing specifically is doing a lot of deep dive research. He's, he's, he's built a proprietary algorithmic system uh, that really filters these things out and gives you uh, the 10 best companies at this time, uh, both in the short and the long term. And I think it's very important to point that out. And you can see that on Money and Markets, uh, moneymarkets.com. Uh, but if you want to see it first, if you want to see it before that, uh, you want to make sure that you uh, subscribe to Adam's Green Zone Fortunes uh, subscription service. And we'll have more information on that um, as well. Moving on into our, our third and, and final stock today. This is a company that uh, is, a, is a big health insurance and life insurance provider. They do supplemental health life. They also do... Uh, cancer, accident, short-term disability, dental vision, term life, uh, health in the U.S. They also have a subsidiary in Japan. Uh, its credit rating, according to S&P Global, is a minus, uh, which is not too shabby. Uh, and and uh, the, the stock itself is up about 47% from its March 2020 low, uh, still about 48% off its 52-week high of about $55 a share. Uh, you'll notice as I say it, I can't do the voice, nor do I think it's worthy of me putting you through that. Uh, the company is Aflac Incorporated. Uh, it trades on the New York Stock Exchange under the ticker AFL. So that's Aflac Incorporated, you know, the duck, Gilbert Gottfried, you know, the, the famous voice. Uh, you see it all the time. Uh, Adam, your thoughts on Aflac? 
Yeah, so Aflac is a pass for me. Um, unfortunately, it rates right in the middle with a score of 52 out of 100 overall. But it gets really low scores on momentum. It gets a, it's a 17 out of 100 on my uh, momentum factor score. Uh, basically, it's in a downtrend. It has market lagging momentum. So for the short term, and by short term, I mean anywhere from two months to 12 months, um, we really have to see a turnaround in Aflac before I'm even interested in buying it based on price action alone. Um, the other factors, I mean, it is a good value. It rates a 93 out of 100 on value. So that's probably its highest score. But a lot of that has to do with a depressed price. So, you know, I would rather buy a stock that has a decent value that's trending higher with market beat and momentum than to buy a stock that's a great value, but that's still falling. Um, so for me, Aflac's a pass. Um, its growth is very average. Its volatility is very average. So really about all you're getting there is a good value and, and you have to consider what you're actually getting for that price. So right now you're not getting a high growth company. You're not getting a, a, momentum, a momentum stock. So for me, Aflac's a pass. Um, you know, I did try to scan the rest of the life insurance uh, companies, the major ones, because I, typically if I find a stock that, you know, the stocks that you've picked each week, if, if a pass on one, I'd like to find uh, a stock in the same sector or the same industry group that instead of buying Aflac, I'd rather point you to one of the other ones. But unfortunately, I, I really can't recommend any of the stocks in the life insurance uh, company in, in the life insurance industry right now. So Prudential, Manulife, uh, MetLife, Globe Life, Unum Group, Genworth Financial, those are some of the bigger ones. They all you know, rate very poorly on my six-factor model. They, they're not in uptrends. They have really poor momentum. So you know, the, the best one I could recommend would be Citizens, um, Citizens Incorporated. Uh, but really, that only gets a decent score because it's such a small company at, at $295 million. So that's really the, what's propping that up. But you know, the, the, the thing is, you don't have to be invested in the whole market. You don't have to be invested in every single sector and every single industry group. Uh, the other thing is, I can't necessarily tell you why the, the life insurance uh, companies are struggling right now. Um, but if I was to come up with a reason for why every single industry group in the whole entire market was either doing better or worse than the market, I would need a team of you know 20 different uh, research analysts and PhDs. And that, that's what I've learned over the years is you don't necessarily have to know why a sector is doing poorly uh, to do well in the market and to beat the market. You can simply watch the price action and follow that along. You don't have to understand the why behind it necessarily. So for me, it's a matter of following some simple rules. If a, if a industry group is in a downtrend, if it has lagging momentum, you want to avoid it until those two things turn around. So for, for me right now, the, uh, the life insurance industry group and, and even the broader financial sector is, is probably a pass for me right now. And I think I just wonder if, if investors spend too much time trying to figure out why something is instead of just looking at the data in front of you and making decisions based on the data instead of trying to really process the why or the how. Uh, and I think you bring up a good point in that the why doesn't always matter. Um, if, you, if you're looking just based on price action, if you're looking either on fundamental analysis or, or, or anything like that, or technical analysis, you know, just follow that. The numbers traditionally don't lie. They, they, right. don't, they don't point you in a wrong direction. They're usually steering you exactly where you need to go. Um, trying to figure out why is life insurance down? Well, who knows? I mean, it's, uh, yeah, there, there's no necessary, there may not be a reason. It just may be a sector that investors are moving away from. They're, they're piling more into tech. They're piling more into, uh, uh, you know, energy. They're not, but that, as an example, um, you know, they could be just moving away from it. It could just be a cyclical thing. It, it doesn't necessarily make a difference. So, uh, so that's a good point, Adam. I appreciate you bringing that up. So to recap, Aflac is a pass. Uh, if, if you want to just see something that's glaring, um, Aflac's current cash on hand about 5.5 uh, 5.5 billion. Its debt 7.7 billion. So 
just put that in perspective a little bit. That means they have $2.2 billion more in debt than they actually have uh, with, uh, with cash. And that's, that, that, that's a little telling. Uh, so Aflac is a pass for both of us. T. Rowe Price, I think we both are very, are, are, are very bullish on. It ranks very high in Adam's Green Zone uh, rating, stock rating system. Uh, it's a strong buy, both in the short term and the long term. BlackRock, uh, I think we're both, uh, I wouldn't say very bullish, maybe somewhat bullish on, on BlackRock, especially in comparison to T. Rowe Price, because T. Rowe Price just seems to have uh, much more working for it in terms of its potential gains and returns to you as an investor. So uh, that, that kind of recaps uh, what we've talked about today. I do want to thank Adam O'Dell, uh, Money Market's Chief Investment Strategist, for joining us for The Bull and the Bear, as he does each and every uh, weekend. So I uh, appreciate that. Uh, just a reminder, again, if uh, you are interested in being alerted every time we put out a new video, make sure you go to our YouTube channel. Just go to youtube.com, type in Money and Markets. We've got the little green, uh, uh, little green uh, logo there. Just make sure you click that, subscribe, hit the subscribe button. And then after that, it might give you the option to turn on notifications. Make sure you turn those on. You get alerted each and every time you put out a video, whether it's the bull and the bear, our marijuana market update, our week ahead, or any other videos that, uh, that we do each and every week. Uh, if you listen to us on podcasts, you can check out the bull and the bear on various podcast channels, about 20, 25 of them right now, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Spotify, Amazon coming up soon. And uh, same thing applies. Make sure you are subscribed and uh, you get alerted every time we put out a new podcast by getting alerts. That means you are going to get the information first before we put the, put it out on moneyandmarkets.com. So it's kind of a way of getting that information ahead of anyone else. So make sure uh, you do that. Any comments, questions, uh, or uh, maybe there's a stock or sector you'd like us to look at, whether it be for the marijuana market update or for the bull and the bear, uh, make sure you email us. You can email us for the podcast at the bull and bear at moneyandmarkets.com. Uh, that's the bull and bear at moneyandmarkets.com. We'd love to hear your feedback uh, and uh, check all that. So coming out ne next week, we've got more, uh, including our marijuana market update. Our week ahead is coming out later on, and uh, we'll have more from the bull and the bear podcast uh, next week as well. So for Adam O'Dell, uh, I am Money and Markets uh, Research Analyst, Matt Clark. Uh, until we speak again next time, safe trading, everyone. You've been listening to The Bull and the Bear, a Money and Markets podcast. Tune in each week to hear insights on how to make investing safe and profitable for you.